morning. Years ago, I uh, was asked to do a funeral as I met with the widow and a friend. And the funeral and direct, uh, director, the widow looked at me and informed me that uh, per her husband's wishes, uh, would I not share anything from the Old Testament in the service? And basically went on to say how they didn't believe that the Old Testament applied anymore uh, since we're New Testament people uh, and all that kind of thing. And the funeral director and I had a pretty good relationship. I had done quite a few funerals at that point in that area. He just looked horrified that she would make such a request to me. And I said, well, I would not prefer that, but I'll honor your wishes. And then I went on to say the problem with this request is that God's redemptive plan is revealed throughout the whole Bible. Jesus is the plan of God from the beginning to the end, and you're basically lopping off two-thirds of the story here in your misunderstanding of the place of the Old Testament. Uh, This morning, we're going to end our Unshakable Faith in an Unsteady World series by looking for a few moments into this idea that Jesus has been God's plan all along, and that's revealed in the Old Testament. It's not like God said at one point, shoot, I messed up. I guess I better come up with the plan of Jesus here. It wasn't like he had that moment of, aha, I see the waywardness of humanity. What will I now do? Jesus has been God's plan from the beginning. So here's our introductory thought this morning. From Genesis to Malachi, Jesus is revealed. For the ancients who lived on the other side of that first appearing of Jesus Christ, theirs was to be a joy-filled anticipation of what would come in God. They were to anticipate that one day God would send Messiah, would send a rescuer, a savior, that would save them from their sins. And as they were looking forward and anticipating what God would do, they were in essence entrusting God's redemptive plan, trusting that God would save them, and there was to be this joy-filled anticipation of what is to come. Now, for us who live on the other side of the arrival of Jesus Christ, guess what? We too are to live in this joy-filled anticipation of what God is going to do as we long for the second appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? We have more information. We have more evidence than ever. And so we ought to be people of radical faith, knowing that as God promised, he will once again return to his creation and make all things new. We're informed. We ought to benefit from that information. And we ought to be just crazy radical in our following of Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we close out our Unshakable Faith in an Unsteady World series, um, Looking forward to Advent season, which, as Kyle said, it doesn't look very Advent-y out there, whatever that looks like. But uh, we want to look for a few moments today on what it means uh, that Jesus has been God's plan all along. That's our big thought today. Jesus has been God's plan all along. And we're going to look at several sections of the Old Testament that point to Christ. And by day's end, here's what I want you to have happen as a goal, that you be convinced of how purposeful God is, that you just become convinced of how how purposeful God is because he's not only purposeful in his revelation of Jesus Christ to to us, he's also very purposeful in how he interacts with each one of our lives. Amen? It's not like a bunch of accidents are happening in your life and they accumulate to become your life. God is working a plan in us, each one of us, and we have to begin to see God's handiwork in our lives. So Jesus has been God's plan all along. We're going to start to look at him way back in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. I'm going to approach the message a bit differently this morning. You're going to read all the scripture with me. 
You're going to participate. We're going to stop and do a couple of songs in the middle of the message. And one's a reflective song. The other one's a very participatory song. And so I want you to be engaged and participating in this final message of the series this morning. So in Genesis chapter 3, we're told that Adam and Eve gave in to the serpent's crafty argument to eat of the forbidden fruit. And sin entered into the world. This is a sad, sad moment uh, as God's perfect community is now undone by sin. But get this. Get this point. This is so important to get. Grace came on the heels of sin. Grace came right on the heels of sin. We're going to read Genesis 3, um, verse 15 out loud together. So it's going to appear in the bar behind me. and You're going to read this out loud with me. Here we go. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So sin comes onto the scene. It busts a relationship between humanity and God. It busts a relationship uh, on the horizontal level between human and human. It doesn't even have a chance to settle in the dust, so to speak, and already we see the grace of God being revealed. Uh, He has a plan to redeem fallen humanity. It will be through, ultimately, Jesus Christ. And God says to the evil one, your days are already numbered. These ones today have fallen for your line. They may seem like easy targets to you. Their descendants will have the same weaknesses. They too will fall for your line. But a descendant is coming that will undo you. And God lets Satan know right from the get-go that he has the upper hand. Before the echoes of that first sin even come back, even come back, God gives us a glimpse into Jesus, into hope. Almighty Savior will redeem human beings from their sinfulness. See, God had a plan all along. It's Jesus Christ. So we're often running here on the Old Testament revelation of Jesus. I want to talk a bit about the kingdom of Christ already. What would that kingdom look like? And that's revealed in the Old Testament too, so let's go right there uh, now. Uh, I'm, I'm going to use Micah 5 too. Um, it reveals a basic truth about the kingdom that Jesus would bring in. So let's read Micah 5 too out loud together. Here we go. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So what we see here already being revealed in this scripture of Micah 5.2 is this. Jesus would set up an upside-down kingdom. Now that may not be obvious from this point, but I'm going to make the point. This verse foreshadowed what we clearly see in the New Testament. The least will be the greatest, the greatest will be least, um, You know, the the humble will be exalted, the exalted ones will be humbled. Uh, Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of inversion. Dallas Willard, a famous teacher and theologian, called this the law of inversion. So Christ's kingdom follows the law of inversion, which which, which is this. The least are the greatest, the greatest are the least. Now, Jesus being born in Bethlehem bears that law of inversion out. Bethlehem is a no place. It's a tiny little village. Epitha was so small, it was absorbed into Bethlehem. It was small and old, absorbed into Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is tiny and inconsequential itself. No one is thinking that um, something significant could come from such a place, such an inconsequential place. Most expected Messiah would come from some bigger place, like Jerusalem. The Magi of the East made that logical mistake. They follow the Christ star in the East, they end up going to where? Jerusalem. Where is the king? We have followed his star. They're in the wrong place. 
And it disturbed Herod, the king of that place, so much. And he gets a hold of uh, some teachers and and, and uh, chief priests and all that kind of stuff and ask, where is the Christ to be born? And they say, well, in Bethlehem. But they don't even follow up. Here you got Magi from the east saying, we've seen a star. We've come here to, to, to see the, 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 the one born king of the Jews. But these you know, scholars and these religious folk don't even follow the star because they think Bethlehem is that inconsequential. They're, they're smart, but they're not really smart. And they missed the arrival of Jesus Christ because they didn't understand the law of inversion, that God works in the least of these, that he raises up the weak, and he puts down the ones who are strong in their own sight and self-sufficient in their own sight. Um, even, even the way we romanticize the stable that Christ is born in kind of defies the law of inversion because it was a stinky place. Justice Martyr in AD 150 um, identified a cave in Bethlehem as the birthplace of Jesus Christ. We romanticize it. We show this nice little, cool little peak stable thing with straw and nice little animals, everything's so neat. But really, Christ came to a dingy, smelly, animal-filled cave, a hole in the wall, and was born there. And that seems fitting, that the, that the one who was going to save us out of our darkness, out of our sin, would be born in a dark cave because the kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of inversion. See, God had a plan all along, and it's Jesus Christ. Now, the Old Testament also makes it clear that Jesus is one of a kind. He's one of a kind. He's not simply a prophet. He's not simply an anointed one. Um, from the start, Jesus' life was divine. We see that in Isaiah 7.14. I'd like you to read that out loud with me, please. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us, right? It's Christmas. It's what we say every Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. So that's your sub-point. He is God with us. Now this, uh, this uh, exchange that takes place later on between uh, Gabriel the angel and, and Mary kind of completes this narrative that began really in, in Isaiah 7:14. Gabriel the angel appears to Mary and says, "You're going to be with child." And she says, "How can that be? I'm a what? Virgin. That's Isaiah 7:14 talk." And he says, "The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and the power of God will accomplish this." So we see that. Isaiah 7.14 begins a narrative that's completed then in the exchange between Gabriel the angel and Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. See, God had a plan all along. It was Jesus Christ, amen? He's not making this thing up as he goes along. It's been his plan from the get-go. So we're going to take a short break here. And what we're going to have now is a song uh, sung by our praise team uh, that kind of emphasizes God with us. You don't know this song? But you can figure it out because you're exceptionally smart people. Amen? So if you want to sing along with the song as you get familiar with it, feel free to do that or use it as a reflective moment. But reflect on the idea that, that Christ is God with us. Amen? And that's been God's plan all along. All the way back in Isaiah, it's revealed to us. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him God with us. Emmanuel. This isn't something God was making up as he's going along. It's been his plan all along. What comes to your mind when you hear the word Jesus or think about Jesus? Do you think Savior? Friend? Do you think suffering, Messiah, or the cross, or some other image pops into your mind? What comes to your mind when you think of Christ? 
One of my favorites is that he's come to give us life and life to the full. That is, he's come to give us a meaningful, rich life. Not necessarily a comfortable, easy life. Got to throw that terminology out. That doesn't even apply, really. What Christ has come to give us is a life that has meaning and significance. That's what he's come to do. I want us to read now Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 2. Um, It talks about this idea that Christ brings life from death. Read it with me, please. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. So what I see here revealed in Isaiah uh, chapter 11 about Jesus is this. Jesus brings life to what is dead. He brings life to what is dead. One of the saddest books I read to my young children, and I read them a lot of books when they were young, they're not young anymore, uh, was The Giving Tree. Um, it's by, I think, Shel, yeah, Shel Silverstein. I better look at that and say it right. Anyway, let me give you a synopsis of this story. Um, starts out with this little boy playing in the, the branches of a tree and eating his fruit. He's having a good old time. The tree's having a good old time. But then he goes away, and the tree's very sad. Later on, the boy comes back. He's now grown up. Uh, and the, the tree, she says to this, this, this young man now, come again and play my branches. Come enjoy my branches once again. And he's too busy now. He needs money. And so the giving tree says, well, why don't you pick my apples and go sell them? So he picks the apples, goes, sells them, and then she's sad because he goes away again. Later on, he returns, and once again, she gives him the invitation, come play in my branches. And he says, you know what, I, I, I'm busy, I need to build a house, I don't have any, any lumber to build a house, and she says, well, cut my branches down, and you can build your house. So he cuts her branches down, it's a sad story, and, and goes and builds his house. And later on, um, he returns again. She was sad in his absence. Now he returns again. Once again, she's overjoyed to see uh, the young man. He's not so young anymore, and he's disillusioned by life. And he wants to go away. He wants to sail away. He wants to get away from it all. And so she says, well, why don't you take my trunk and make it into a boat? So he saws her trunk off to make it into a boat and goes away. Now that's all, all that's left is a trunk, uh, uh, stump of the tree, right? And she's very sad. And then he comes back now. He's an old, tired man. And she says, I have nothing left to give to you. And he says, you know, I'm old and I'm tired. I don't need a lot. I just need a place to sit. And she says, come sit. And she's happy. That's the end of the story. I hate that story. <laughs> it's so sad. And I read it to the kids. I go, who writes this stuff? You know, we got to have happy stories for our little kids, right? We're going to bruise them or make them all messed up or something. I don't know. But at any rate, the idea was that she had been this life-giving apple tree when the story starts, and now she's reduced to a stump. And when we see a stump, what do we think? Dead. A tree is dead. Now, in the story, of course, you know, it's romanticized, but when we see a stump, what do you think? That tree's dead, man. It's not there anymore. Uh, in Israel, trees were really valuable and rare, and when you see a stump of a tree, it would be a sad symbol. I grew up in Minnesota. Lots of trees where I lived and you didn't feel the wind a lot because you're in the middle of trees. Then we moved to southern Iowa. Still had beautiful big trees, but I noticed there's not as many trees. It wasn't like forest. It was like these big sugar maple trees. Then we moved to Brookings, South Dakota. There's not as many trees around you. There are trees, there are groves, right? 
That's what they call them, they're kind of groves. And there are trees everywhere, but there's a lot of farmland. And I noticed something I didn't notice before, a lot of wind. I thought, oh, trees are beneficial. Then I moved to northwest North Dakota. And I thought, are you kidding me? There's not a tree in sight. It's just you could see as far as your eye could see. And I remember a friend of mine, Pete, would tell me frequently, there's not a natural tree in North Dakota. They've all been planted by somebody, and they're very valuable up there. And, and, and so when trees are a rare thing, they become very valuable. And in Israel, a tree was a valuable thing. So when you would see a stump, you'd go, oh, that's sad. It's a picture of death, and it's a picture of sadness. But Isaiah says something miraculous will occur, will happen to the stump. It will come alive again. A branch will come out of it. Now, this is kind of talking about Israel. Israel, under the the rulership of King David, was this big life-giving tree. It was alive and well and fruitful and things were going good. But she went downhill and downhill and downhill. And then the time of Isaiah, in the time of Isaiah that we read about today, the Assyrians had attacked Israel, reduced her to nothing. She's now just this little tribe of Judah, right, trying to survive. And then after the Assyrians, the Babylonians came on the scene and carried her off into exile. And Israel, this once life-giving, beautiful, flourishing nation, now was reduced to a stump, a dead stump. And Isaiah says, life will come from this dead stump. He's referring to Jesus Christ. See, God had a plan all along, right? And it's Jesus. Jesus is the branch that came from the dead stump and brings, to life, uh, brings life to all who put their faith in him. So now we're going to move on to one more point here and then sing another song. Um, in the Old Testament time, when, when a king was anointed, a, a, a cup of oil would be poured over his head or a pitcher of oil would be poured over his head and that would be how uh, he would be anointed. But Jesus, we're told in the Old Testament, is anointed another way. He's anointed with the Spirit of God. We're going to read about that this morning. It's Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. Would you read it with me, please? The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So we see here from this scripture in Isaiah that Jesus would be anointed by the Spirit of God, not by the oil of a man, but by the Spirit of God. And he, too, then, would be one who would anoint his followers with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God. He sent the Holy Spirit, then, to empower us to live life differently. When Jesus began his ministry, he goes to synagogue, and he reads these words of Isaiah, puts the scroll down and says, today these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. He was saying, I'm the one. I'm the anointed one of God. John the Baptist, when he comes on the scene, makes this further evident. He said, I baptize with water, but the one coming after me will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was one who was anointed of the Holy Spirit. And that was revealed all the way back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. Um, And then Jesus unleashed, or whatever you want to say, sent the, the Holy Spirit uh, to be in, the, in his followers. So we're filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and thus God works in each one of us in this wonderful, intimate, very purposeful way. Amen? It's not by accident. That's part of the point of the message today is to see that God's plan of Jesus was very much on purpose, and the way he interacts with you and I is very much on purpose, and that is accomplished by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's been God's plan all along. We're going to finish our look into the Old Testament plan of Jesus 
by going to the last book of the Bible, of the Old Testament now, Malachi. We begin with Genesis, we're gonna end with Malachi. It would be 400 years from Malachi until the arrival of Jesus Christ. Let's read some words in Malachi about the coming of Christ. They're found in Malachi 3, verse one. Would you read it out loud with me, please? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come says the Lord Almighty. So here's our point. God sent a messenger, and we know that messenger is John the Baptist, to prepare the way. So throughout the Old Testament, God is talking about his plan of Jesus Christ. It's been his plan all along. And then as a final word, before 400 years of silence, he says in Malachi 3.1, listen, before Christ comes, I am going to send, uh, I'm going to send one to prepare his way. And of course, that ended up being John the Baptist. It was uh, his job to herald the arrival of Jesus. Basically, John's job was this. There he is. That's Jesus. That's the one. His was a ministry of finger pointing. I grew up and my mom would tell me, don't point your finger, that's rude. When it comes to Jesus Christ, we should do this a lot. That's the one. He's the one. He's the anointed one of God. He's the son of God. He's our savior. He's the mighty one. He's the mighty, uh, mighty savior, whatever words you want to use there. Um, you should constantly point to Jesus by your words and by your actions and by your lifestyle. That's how you evangelize. You just merely point to Jesus Christ. Amen? We often make evangelism really hard in the church. It's really easy. He's the man. You point to Jesus. And so you and I are called to the ministry appointing people to Jesus Christ. We're called to the ministry of finger pointing because Jesus has been God's plan all along. And get this, this is our conclusion today. God's plan is still unfolding, amen? His plan is still unfolding. Just like the ones prior to the arrival of Jesus Christ were to anticipate his coming to rescue them from their sins, you and I on the other side of the arrival of Jesus Christ are to anticipate Christ's return and the unfolding and completion of God's plans for all of his creation. We're called to anticipate Jesus' return then. We're just called to be anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. Listen, part of the reason I share this message with you today is simply this. God does things on purpose. And Jesus has been God's plan all along. God didn't at one point say, wow, humanity is so messed up and they're so wayward, I gotta come up with a plan. He had a plan all along, that plan is Jesus Christ. Your own life is not an accident either, amen? And his plans are unfolding in you. And what you need to begin to do is pray, God, show me your plans for my life. Give me spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear what you're up to in my life. Understand that God is very purposeful and that his plans in you too are unfolding. And we're all part of God's kingdom plans. 